Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Keeping Up With The Pace, an educational podcast for health professionals and palliative care volunteers across Western Australia. Each month, I will be joined by guests, bringing with them specialist insights, skills, research and best practice to assist health professionals from acute care, primary practice, prison services, paediatric care, general practice, with a variety of topics concerning palliative and supportive care. Care that health professionals deliver daily in metro, regional and remote areas across this beautiful state. And we hope that each episode will offer something new and inspiring to our listeners. I would like to commence our podcast today by acknowledging our traditional custodians of the land that we come to you from today. That being the land of the Wajuk people from the Noongar Nation. I would like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and those emerging in the space. And most importantly, I would like to extend that respect to all Aboriginal people living and working in this area and across our beautiful country, wherever you may be joining us from. I am your host, Claudine Barnes, and I am the manager of the Palliative and Supportive Care Education team. I'm a nurse, an educator, and I've worked within oncology and clinical education for about 16 years. My passion is palliative care and I believe everyone deserves to die with dignity, but also to live their fullest up until their last breath. As I mentioned, my team is the palliative and supportive care education team and we are found within Cancer Council Western Australia in the Cancer Information and Support Services Division. What is unique about our team is that we provide education to all health professionals and we are the recognised preferred provider of this education by the Department of Health. The perceived view is that palliative care is only limited to cancer, and this couldn't be more untrue. The definition of palliative care is an approach that improves the quality of life of patients, both adults and children, and their families who are facing problems associated with life-threatening illness. It prevents and relieves suffering through the early identification, correct assessment, and treatment of pain and other problems whether physical, psychosocial or spiritual. Addressing suffering takes care of issues beyond physical symptoms and palliative care uses a team approach to support patients and their caregivers. It includes addressing all the practical needs along with providing bereavement counselling and support. It offers a support system that helps patients live as actively as possible until death as recognised by the World Health Organisation. In 2020, it was estimated that 150,000 new cases of cancer are diagnosed in Australia each year. And this represents about 50,000 deaths from cancer. Cancer remains the leading cause of death in Australia, recognising that one in two Australian people will be diagnosed with cancer by the age of 85. In Western Australia, there are 44,630 new cases so far this year, representing 13,350 deaths so far. Thanks to education and research and the implementation of new treatments, the number of Western Australian cancer patients living five years after diagnosis of cancer has continued to rise from 51% in the 1990s to over 71% today. We recognise that over 200 cancers exist and in Australia we do have one of the highest mesothelioma rates of cancer in the world. The top cancers represented in our demographics are breast, colorectal and prostate. With those statistics in mind, it's likely that cancer will, has 
or maybe a part of your story. Cancer Council WA's mission is to make a cancer-free future for all. And I'd like to mention that when this episode airs on October 14th, World Hospice Day, I thought it would be a very fitting inaugural episode to explain the significance of the hospice movement, both internationally and more so locally here in Western Australia. Today I'm being joined by the CEO of Cancer Council Western Australia, Mr Ashley Reid, and I thank him for joining me. Thank you, Ashley, for joining me today on our inaugural episode of this podcast. I hope that our discussion today will highlight with the audience the journey our organisation has taken from its humble beginnings at Crawford Lodge and the immense contribution that the Crawford family um, have played in providing us a space to conduct our work in. As the podcast airs on World Hospice Day, I felt it was very fitting to share with our audience the role that Cancer Council WA has played in the initial development of hospice, especially here in Western Australia, and the connection that we have to the WA community. Um, The World Health Organization definition of hospice is that hospice care is end-of-life care provided by health professionals and volunteers, and they give medical, psychological, and spiritual support. And the goal is to help people that are dying have peace, comfort, and dignity. Um, Can you take me back to the beginning of Cancer Council in WA and how we've changed in the years from the cottage hospice to our current role in servicing our community? Sure, thanks Claudine. Uh, Great to be talking with you. Uh, Cancer Council in WA was formally established in 1958, so we have over 60 years of service to the West Australian community. Uh, our, Our purpose is to reduce the incidence and impact of cancer on West Australian families. So We do that through a whole range of activities that have changed over time. Uh, Obviously, the things that we now look at that are evidence-informed care and patient-centred across our advocacy, prevention work, investment in research, all of the things that we do, predominantly funded by donors, to reduce the incidence and impact of cancer, Uh, particularly in relation to hospice care and and, uh, being one of the forefront organisations Uh, in palliative care in the state. Uh, We're very grateful for the Crawford family who were significant donors uh, in the early years of Cancer Council Western Australia. Um, We first established a partnership with Silver Chain back in 1982. We established the Hospice Palliative Care Service uh, and that led through a contribution from the Crawford family to the establishment of the first purpose-built standalone hospice in Australia in 1987. So that was at our Milroy site in Shenton Park. So we're very proud of that history and very proud of the work that we've done to increase awareness of good quality palliative care and also back to linking to our purpose to reduce the impact of cancer on West Australian families. Thanks Ashley. I think that's so important recognising that we were very pivotal in the um, delivery of the first hospice. And when I look at hospice movements throughout the world and how they've changed, I always go back to this one quote from Dame Cicely Saunders, who was, I suppose, the pioneer of the modern hospice movement. And one of her famous quotes was, you matter because you're you and you matter until the um, end of your life. How do you think Cancer Council WA assists our community in embodying that message today? And you've highlighted really well how we started but how do you think we do it right now in the current day? People do matter. Cancer is an insidious disease. You will not find a family unaffected by cancer. So it's it's a whispered disease. There's so much mythology and so much taboo around the disease. 
predominantly because for most of history, uh, it was a very grim outcome for most people who had cancer. So uh, when we talk about linking to our purpose of reducing the incidence and impact of cancer, then the individual's dignity and being uh, centric to how people wish to both spend and end their life is really pivotal to the work we do. Uh, in Western Australia, over 13,000 people every year are diagnosed with cancer, and it sadly kills more than 4,000 Western Australians every year. So, again, we know that cancer, we, we have hope on one hand for Im- improved outcomes as we invest in research and, and improve the way that we uh, treat and diagnose cancer, but for many it is a grim result and it's a, an awful disease that affects so many people, and we want to make sure that. Every person anywhere in that spectrum feels supported and cared for. And I think that's a great quote when we talk about that people matter because that's fundamentally linked to our purpose. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I suppose in preparation for this podcast, I looked around a lot of um, hospice data and things like that. And sadly, I noticed that um, hospice data from the World Health Organization noticed that still 76% of people who need hospice and palliative care throughout the world are based in developing countries. Unfortunately, 56.8 million people need palliative care. Um, 31.1 million people need it prior to the end of their life, with the rest needing it in the last days and weeks of their life. Um, 7% of those are children, which is quite sad, but we still haven't made that statistic zero. Um, One of the most important statistics I noted was that in 2020, 87,000 patients were admitted to tertiary institutes at Australia-wide, which again goes back to why we're here today talking about our country and our, our state and how we can integrate our care into um, services for hospice and palliative care provision. Um, nearly half of those 87,000 people um, attended hospital for end-of-life care and only 52% of them actually had a principal diagnosis of cancer. So whilst, yes, cancer is more than the bit more than half of the reason we also have a lot of other reasons why people are admitted for um, palliative or end-of-life care throughout our state and our country as we head forward towards 2024 and beyond we now understand that people are living longer uh, which you mentioned around new treatments and things like that for cancer which is fantastic and at present every year that passes here in australia people are living for an additional three days Um, So an additional three days is added to their life expectancy every single year, which I find quite interesting. Um, Population demographics across the world seem to have plateaued, though in the UK and many European countries and across America, poor health um, outcomes have measured a reduction in life expectancy in America. But I suppose with that in mind, we need to look at our health systems and note that they're under extreme pressure. And especially given that we have an aging population and more and more Australians now live with chronic diseases, that can mean that although all those statistics suggest we live longer, in actual fact, our communities live longer with more chronic illnesses, age related changes, which increase burden on both tertiary and community care. And in some instances, you know, reduced health literacy can also be prevented. Um, Our work at Cancer Council WA has changed as our community has um, over the years. So where do you see our work heading in the near future to address those issues for our ageing populations around health literacy and understanding? Yes, so uh, look, cancer risk increases with age. It is a disease of ageing and we have an ageing population. So 
the, the, the simple demography there is that we will have many, many more people with cancer as that population ages. Uh, by 2040, it's estimated there'll be 1.9 million Australians living with or beyond cancer. So compared to today, that's an additional 800,000 Australians living with or beyond cancer. So it, there'll be a huge increase in support needs. Uh, there is a lot of inequity within cancer outcomes. Uh, so we see inequity between regional and metro, for example, and between many vulnerable groups, uh, including Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. There are huge health gaps uh, for that population and many others, uh, and that is worsened with cancer. So we think that those needs will continue to change and we need to be responsive. Uh, but it's also a large system question. So. We and others need to advocate very strongly to government, to people in decision-making uh, roles, for good policy in this area, for population health level uh, policy and prevention work, uh, to make sure that we have a state cancer plan that is looking at how the system integrates better for people, how they can navigate a complex system. Uh, we have, we are an incredibly rich and lucky country, and those benefits should flow through to quality health care. The reality is that everyone dies. Um, and what we really want from a Cancer Council perspective is for people to have agency in that, uh, to have choice, uh, and to make sure that we have the best evidence-based services and support possible. So we know that those needs will change and continue to increase over time, and we need to be at the forefront of that. Yeah, I think that's so so true. And in terms of the advocacy, you've just mentioned some really, really important components um, that will obviously assist with our community and ensure that the work undertaken by us is answering all those questions. Um, one of the key components of today's discussion was to highlight the hospice movement, as we mentioned, and the vital role that hospice care provides both to our community, um, regionally, metrally, across the world, across Australia and within our state. And in recognition that hospice care today looks really different to how it did 10 years ago, I know that there's still a lot of hurdles to overcome, as you've mentioned, with government and system changes. Um, and building, obviously, a health system that fully supports every aspect of care and education for those communities. However, I do understand that Cancer Council has taken a huge leap in the provision of hospice care, uh, to one of our many vulnerable groups and that being our children and our young people um, for their families and their carers. So would you like to tell me more about the great work that's currently underway in this space? So look, overall, um, no organisation can do it alone. Um, when we talk about you know, working towards a cancer-free future, we've seen huge advancements in screening, diagnosis and treatment all through a global cooperation in research. Um, all of Cancer Council's contribution to local world-class research is donor-funded, uh, and that's been a big part of our history to and our purpose to make sure that we are contributing to improving um, outcomes for people with cancer. Um, and also research informs evidence across psychosocial support, how to best provide end-of-life care, etc. Um, we do a lot of work in prevention, so between a third and a half of cancers can be prevented. So we do need to keep up with changes and new threats that emerge, industry behaviour, all of the rest. But the key, I think, across all of those is collaboration and cooperation. None of us can do this alone. Uh, we need government as active in this space as a whole range of health and community service providers to make sure that people have good evidence-based information, the best support that we can possibly provide, uh, and research that's contributing to 
ongoing improvements in diagnosis and treatment. So it, it's a it's a large and complex space, but with that cooperation and collaboration, then you know anything's possible. Uh, your question also linked to work in the children's space. Um, we have been working closely with the Perth Children's Hospital Foundation, uh, and they have been fundraising and looking to establish Perth's first, the inaugural, children's hospice in Swanbourne. Uh, and we are very proud to be a significant contributor to the establishment of this surface. We uh, received a significant bequest from a Mr John Street a number of years ago, who was quite clear that he wished to uh, improve hospice care in the state. And the contribution that we can make through that bequest is $10 million towards the establishment of Perth Children's Hospice. For families that are probably going through one of the most difficult things any family can ever face, and that is to have a child with a life-limiting illness, to be able to contribute significantly to that to the establishment of that of that facility and that service is something we're very proud to be a part of and and quite humbled to be honest. There's been many many amazing donors and supporters that have come forward. Uh, and we hope that that contribution will ease some of the pain for those families as they go through that most distressing experience. Yeah, I think that's so important, and it's so wonderful that you know we're able to acknowledge the amazing donations from our donors um, and how they can have such a positive impact. Um, I think just touching on palliative care for children, I know that the World Health Organization um, they've kind of defined it as a special and closely related field to palliative care, and that palliative care for children is. Um, active total care of child's body, mind and spirit and also involves giving support to family and it begins the moment that child is diagnosed with a life-limiting condition Um, and obviously as you mentioned Ashley it's really really important that we not only support the child but the family and by having a purpose-built space I think it'll be a wonderful addition to not only our local community but our our whole state um, and perhaps even further afield. I think I'm I'd like to express that I'm very proud and humbled to be part of an organisation that sees gaps and works to close them. I recognise that tremendous work of our communities and governments alongside our organisation to um, ensure that we have a safe space for our young West Australian community to receive that timely, appropriate care. I mean, within our team, we recognise that talking about death is really uncomfortable for many community members and for the general population and recognising that nobody wants to die and understands that unfortunately illness and disease are out of our control at times and that vulnerable populations which you've discussed such as children or older, older adults and our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, that at times are sometimes they, they do experience poorer health outcomes and at times are um, perhaps not as involved in the immediate care that we want them to be involved in. I think talking about these hard topics opens the door for those conversations and to see the reality that is faced by many that we want to build hope and resilience for our community. Uh, One of the key components about our collaboration within my team is to talk around um, palliative care, death and dying and death literacy and we work closely with Palliative Care WA and we use their Think, Talk, Write, Share advocacy program as a means of educating our community, similar to what we do at Cancer Council WA with educating our community on avoiding incidences of cancer and finding cancer early in detection. With that in mind and recognising that at some point all of us are going to die and 
putting in place their wishes and hopes early through documents such as the advanced care plans, advanced health directives, values and preferences documents. Um, it can mean that our transition to death is in line with our hopes and values. And having recently returned from the Oceanic Palliative Care Conference, I was struck by an overwhelming question um, that was asked daily of all the participants, which was quite uncomfortable. Um, but it was, what are you hopeful for? And I think it's something I'm actually going to continue to ask all of my podcast guests because I feel that it's a really important message to build hope and to build resilience within our community and it has to start somewhere. So with that in mind, Ashley, what are you hopeful for? Well, it's a very big question. Um, I love representing Cancer Council WA. Um, well, I, I put on a suit most days that has a daffodil pin on the suit and the daffodil is the international symbol for hope. So every single day when I'm representing Cancer Council, I'm representing hope, which is a very humbling thing. I, and I, you know, I love that about my role and being able to represent such an amazing organisation. Um, I'm hopeful for a future where cancer is no longer a whispered word. I'm hopeful that eventually cancer is something not to be feared. Uh, I have children. I have two adult daughters. I would love... For them to be in a world and for my grandchildren one day to be in a world where cancer is not a disease to be feared so I think about it from the perspective of my own life and my own family as well as the organization's purpose that I represent and I am hopeful I think some of the advances we've made in recent times are just extraordinary and that those will continue and we'll all be working towards a cancer-free future. Thank you so much I think that's very very eloquently placed that absolutely cancer-free future would be the epitome of everything we work for and hope to achieve um so with that in mind i'll say thank you for joining me today on the podcast and again we just want to celebrate the amazing work that's done by so many of our staff across a variety of different communities both here in wa and across australia and throughout the world in relation to um working with cancer, working with people with end-of-life and palliative care needs, and also the hospice movement at large. And that concludes today's episode. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Um, hopefully you found it engaging and insightful. Should you have any queries or questions for any of the guests that we've had featured so far or myself or the team, feel free to get in contact with us through email. That's PACE, P-A-S-C-E at cancerwa.asn.au. Similarly, you can find our webpage through www.pace.com.au. Here you'll be able to find a list of our events, upcoming education sessions, and if or when we're coming to a town or regional area near you. Um, you can also subscribe to our newsletter, um, which it will allow you to do on the webpage and engage with our learning management system through free e-learning, additional resources, discussion boards. Uh, we look forward to sharing our next episode with you. So until next time, keep up at the pace.